0: And we're going to read uh, what I imagine is a familiar text to many of you about the birth of Jesus being foretold. Luke chapter 1, beginning with verse 26. And I'll invite those of you with me here to stand. And would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord, this is your word to me today. May it be a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Help me to hide this word in my heart, that I might not sin against you. May I pray it in, read it through, live it out, and pass it on. Amen. I want to begin here with verse 26. Hear God's word. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, the town in Galilee So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is now in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. May God add his word, blessed to his word. Please, you can be seated. This morning I want us to turn the page from our study of the Psalms, and instead we are going to do a character study of what I believe is one of the most intriguing and, in fact, most beautiful people in Scripture—Mary, the mother of Jesus. When I was in high school, uh, we would have what was called a Spirit Week. I don't know if they they do this anymore, but in my high school, uh, well. First off, we weren't very good in football. We, we needed some spirit. Uh, my first three years in high school, we went 0 and 10. So we were not good. My senior year, we went five and five, and you would have thought we had won the state championship. There was so much buzz going on around, but, but during Spirit Week, typically it was the week when we were playing our, our rival Elgin, and uh, so they would, they would announce that every day would be a particular theme, and so you'd have a t-shirt day or a black and orange day, which was our school colors, or, or you might have a backwards day or a dress-up day. And at the end of the week, we would have a big pep rally. There'd be a bonfire, a skull session. The band would play, the cheerleaders would cheer. And of course, the football team would be out there grunting and showing us their stuff, also that we could get our, our team ready to go for the big win. And so, one of the things I remember is that during that week at the game, the cheerleaders would lead us in a contest against the other team where they'd shout out, We've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? And then the other team, the other side would, would, would shout out the same thing. And It was a mindless, mindless banter back and forth until someone just got tired of it and stopped uh, saying I had spirit. And so the spirit would eventually fail and we'd sit and just watch the game. <laughs> but, but when a team plays well, we say they have spirit. The opposite is also true. When a team seems not to be playing well, not with intensity, with focus, we say they lack spirit. And when that team wins, for instance, when the Buckeyes beat Michigan, perhaps this week, we don't know. That's all up in the air. There is a spirit of celebration, isn't there? Well, sometimes during the season, we also reference the Christmas spirit. And generally, we mean by that that Hopefully this time of year, people are kinder to one another. Maybe they smile more, although you probably can't tell with the masks on. Or maybe they're more generous toward one another. But I don't know about you, but I found that, you know, the snow that fell earlier this week put me a little more oomph in the Christmas spirit. And so we were a little more engaged in our Christmas decorating, setting up our lights. And of course, if we enjoy this season, we, we love the songs. We appreciate the gifts, and and even in this time of corona, the opportunities we have to make memories with our families. But as you know, sometimes that spirit fails. Benjamin was just seven years old, but he was notorious for being a very selfish and demanding little boy. So when Benjamin's father caught him writing a letter to Santa, listing all of the things he wanted for Christmas, he thought it was time to teach little Ben a lesson. So he took Ben and he sat him down in front of the nativity scene and he said, son, I want you to look at this and think about what Christmas is really about. Then I want you to write a letter to Jesus. Well, the father walked away and the boy began writing his letter. And Benjamin began, he wrote, Dear Jesus, I have been a very good boy. But then he realized, wait a minute, Jesus knows everything and so I better not lie here. And so he quickly erased what he wrote and he started over. Dear Jesus, if I get everything I want for Christmas, then I'll be a good boy all of next year. But again, he knew that that was a bar that was really, really difficult to to, to set, so he used his eraser and he started over. He said, I'll be a good boy all of next week. But even then, he realized, I don't know if I can do that, so finally, he looked around and Benjamin grabbed a towel, and he looked and he, he took up the Virgin Mary in the nativity scene and wrapped her up in the towel and wrote, Dear Jesus, if you ever want to see your mother again. (laughs) You'd say that boy had a troubled spirit, something like that, right? But the spirit I want to talk to you about this morning is actually quite different. The spirit of Spirit Week or the spirit the team has during a win or the spirit of Christmas even that we discuss is is really a feeling. But the spirit the Bible talks about isn't a feeling. The spirit is a person. And this spirit comes upon people. And as we see here in this passage, actually overshadows them. He lives in them and over them. And one of the things that is ushered in by Jesus' coming was we now live in the age of the Spirit. You'll remember in Acts 1.8, as Jesus is ready to ascend to heaven, he tells his disciples, And you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. I want you to think about that this morning, because Mary was not the person you would most likely expect God to use in his plan of salvation. Nazareth was not the place you would expect God to begin his plan to reach the world. The truth is, Mary was probably just old enough to join our youth group. She was poor. Poetically, we hear her describe her situation as a lowly estate. Perhaps she was cooking or maybe she was doing some household chore in that sleepy backwater town of Nazareth when suddenly an angel appears to her. Imagine that moment. He announces, greetings, hello, favored one, the Lord is with you. And the Bible says she wondered. She was perplexed, even. And of course, you would be too in that moment. What do you think is happening here? She kept pondering it, which means that she kept asking herself over and over again: what is going on? Is this a joke? Am I dreaming? But here we have Mary, the chosen one by God, is now chosen to to give birth to the Messiah, the Son of God. His name will be Jesus. And she said, how can this be? And the angel says, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And so what we see is that Mary was a person who lives in the shadow of the Spirit. Now, this is what I want you to think about. This is what I want you to take away this morning. Mary was a person who lived in the shadow of the Spirit. But I want to suggest to you that we are all, as Christians, designed and supposed to be people who live in that same shadow that the Spirit of God is the same Spirit that came over Mary and overshadowed her and empowered her to, to help. And God's process of saving the world is, in fact, wanting to empower us, overshadow us, and live within us. And so Mary is an example of a person who lived in the Spirit's shadow. And for just a few moments, I want us to consider what that says about her life, and maybe even more importantly for us this morning, what it says about our lives too. What would it look like to live in the shadow of God's Spirit? Well, the first thing I want you to note about a person who lives in the shadow of the Spirit is they are highly favored. This is good news. Friends, if Christ is born in you, if the God who came to earth has come to know you and you know him, then I want to tell you something this morning. You are highly favored. Sometimes we take this this fact for granted. We grew up in the church, and so we take for granted that Christ has made himself known to us, that God has reached out to us. Or maybe some way we've been in the church for years, and and we just kind of, of, of settle for an understanding, but we don't Take away the magnificence of the fact that Christ has called us to be His own. You are highly favored this morning. The same God who created the universe, the one who is eternal, all powerful, all knowing. He loves you and He cares about you. You are highly favored. 1 John 3, 1 says it this way Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God. We are highly favored this morning. We are God's children. I, and I can think of no greater privilege than that. And so God knows me, God loves me, and God wants to spend eternity with me. That's amazing. But now, think about this with Mary. She's poor. She's not married. She's going to have some explaining to do. And even when she explains, who's going to believe her? How many people are going to buy her explanation that the Holy Spirit has conceived a child in her womb? Imagine her having to tell her dad or to sit down with Joseph, her fiancé. Now, we know that God eventually sends Joseph an angel, but there's no indication that her mom or her dad got any divine word. The whole community would soon be mocking her in derision. For me, I have never thought it was much of a mystery why Mary chose to go and visit her cousin Elizabeth a ways away. I remember it used to be common for single girls who were pregnant to to go live with family somewhere else because the shame was just too much for the family. But when you think about it, at least initially, it doesn't seem like Mary was favored at all. And Christians need to remember this. There are going to be times when we wonder if God is really on our side. Is God up to something at all? Or is this a cruel joke? It's those times when we wonder. It's those times when we're perplexed that we have to learn to trust that his word has been given to us and we trust him and not the circumstances we find ourselves in. Some of you have been there and you know what that's like. You are highly favored. The Lord is with you, the angel said. of course, that leads me to my second point. People who live in the shadow of the Spirit, they are not exempt from the problems of this world. I had someone in my office just the other day. They said to me with absolute sincerity, Pastor, I'm praying. I'm trying to get involved. I'm trying to do all the right things. Why does it seem like God isn't there? Why do... All these things seem to be going wrong in my life. Why doesn't it seem to be getting better? I know that maybe you've faced those questions. Maybe you're facing them today. I, I'm afraid as a pastor, I don't always have the answers. I don't know why God can work so miraculously in one person's life and then the next person comes along and it seems like he is silent and still I don't know why, as in the case of Mary, God speaks. And then apparently, she doesn't hear from God again. What I do know is this. Just because you are spiritual, just because you are favored, does not mean that the problems you will face will not be tough and will not be real. In fact, you can live in the shadow of God's spirit and not always hear from him. The truth is, you live in the shadow of the Spirit may just mean that you have more problems than non-Christians. I was thinking about this. For example, you know, non-Christians don't have to struggle in their marriages. There's a problem? You pick up and leave. That's not so with us as Christians. We have to stick it out, face our problems, work through them as best we can. Mary's life was not an easy one. Joseph apparently died somewhere between when Jesus was 12 and he was 30. So she was a widow much of her life and had to fend for herself. And one day, she would have to face every parent's worst nightmare. She would witness before her very eyes the death of her own son. So being favored by god didn't mean that she was going to have an easy life. In fact, I would argue it often brought more hardship. I remind you in 1st Peter chapter 1, he writes, "In this you greatly rejoice." Even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That somehow, even in our pain, in our struggle, even in our disappointments, we come to a place where, where God is able to turn that around into a moment of glorious praise for him. God can take that pain and turn it into good. He works all things together for good to them that love him. So there's something else that strikes me about Mary. Mary. That despite the fact that her life was being overturned completely by this announcement, I will say this, people who live in the shadow of the Spirit, they make it a practice to praise God. They rejoice in everything. Mary is given this momentous and somewhat troubling news. And if you read further along in this chapter, what does she do? She sings a song. I love that. Chapter 1, verse 46, she begins My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. In the midst of her trouble, in the midst of her perplexing, in the midst of the questions she surely had, she could see that God was going to be up to something great. And in that, she was going to rejoice. Do you want to know this morning the test, I think, that God is residing in you and over you? Well, ask yourself, do I regularly practice praising him? The psalmist says, his praise will continually be in my mouth, in good and in bad. Do I enjoy the opportunity to worship God? In fact, have you ever considered what a disappointment heaven will be to those who don't enjoy praising God? Do you practice praising him even when you don't have a clue as to what he is up to? Even when you think that he is hurting you? During this season, and I've got to tell you, this has been a difficult one for many of you, and it's a difficult for, for someone like me who's trying to lead and trying to discern what's the right thing to do. When should we meet? When should we not meet? How should we uh, embrace what is going on? Lord, teach me. And, and I've had to return again and again. Lord, I know you're up to something. I know you're on the move. I know that you're still worthy of my praise. And I just have to, to, to consciously focus on the fact that he is still good. I suspect all of us have to do that. But Mary, she she rejoices in the challenge before her. For this is my God, my Savior. But fourthly, I think people then living in the shadow of the Spirit, if you think about it, they have Jesus Christ living in them. Mary was going to give birth to Jesus he was living inside of her Romans 8 says however you are not in the flesh but in the spirit indeed the spirit of god the spirit of god dwells in you but if anyone does not have the spirit of christ he does not belong to him and if christ is in you though the body is dead because of sin yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness you see what Paul is talking about there. He's talking about this majesty of Christ in you. He says and elsewhere, the hope of glory. And as Christians, we believe that Christ resides in our lives, in our parts. You see, that's, that's a step beyond just believing in him. Because i got to tell you, there are millions of people who will say they believe in God. Millions who will tell you they believe in Christ. But the biblical idea of faith is not simply intellectually making an ascent to that point, the Bible talks about us being in him and he in us. I am in Christ. He is in me. And I think about the significance of that. I think about that night when Jesus Christ was born, that manure-filled, stinking stable. That night became the most beautiful place in the world. You know Christ does the same thing in my heart. When Christ is born in my heart, no matter the ugliness of my sin, no matter the darkness of my past, when he is born there, he makes it into something beautiful and produces a change in my life. He works to make me different, and maybe he has a long way to go. But the fact that he's in me means that I'm being changed and transformed into that hope of glory. Christ in you. Christ in me. Christ was in Mary. He changes us. And finally this morning, and I love this, people who live in the shadow of the Spirit are willing to give themselves over completely to God's purpose. I I think about Mary and I think about the challenges she faced. She knew instinctively what this was going to cost her. But she said yes. Anyway, may your word to me be fulfilled. What is God calling you to? What is the hard thing that God is calling you to? Tim Bowden, in his book, One Crowded Hour, about a cameraman, Neil Davis, tells about an incident that happened in Borneo during the confrontation between Malaysia and Indonesia in 1964. Listen to this story. There were a group of Gurkhas from Nepal who were asked if they would be willing to jump from a transport plane into combat against the Indonesians if the need arose. Well, the Gurkhas had the right to turn down the request because they had never been trained as paratroopers. So Bowdoin quotes this account. He writes, Now the Gurkhas usually agreed to anything, but on this occasion they rejected the plan. But the next day one of their commanders sought out the British officer who made the request and said that they had discussed the matter further and would be prepared to jump under certain conditions. What they, well, they asked the British officer, the British officer asked, well, what are your conditions? The Gurkhas told him they would jump if the land was marshy or reasonably soft with no rocky outcrops because they were inexperienced in falling. Well, the British officer considered this and said, well, the dropping area would almost certainly be over jungle and there would not be any rocky outcrops, so, so we can figure that out. It seems all right. Is there anything else? Yes, said the Gurkhas. They wanted the plane to fly as slowly as possible and no more than 100 feet high. Well, the British officer pointed out the planes always fly as slowly as possible when dropping troops, but to jump from 100 feet was impossible because the parachutes, parachutes would not open from that height. Oh, said the Gurkhas, that's all right then. We'll jump with parachutes anywhere. You didn't mention parachutes before. I like that spirit. God, what do you want to do with me? What are you challenging me to do? What is hard? And am I willing to say yes? Yes. Over this next year, whatever it brings, there are going to be moments when God is going to ask you to do something hard. Mary was facing one of those moments. What's going to be your response? Are you going to recognize that God has favored you? Are you going to recognize that he is worthy of praise? Are you going to recognize that the only response is, Lord, yes, may it be unto me as you have said. Let's pray together. Father, I, I thank you for Mary and what we learned from her, this young lady who demonstrates such a maturity and faith in your plan. Lord, we live in a season where there is uncertainty and trouble, and we are perplexed and we wonder ourselves, what are you up to? And yet, Lord, we know with certainty that you are worthy to be praised. And so, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to offer you ourselves completely, that we would hold nothing back from you, that you would take what you will from our lives and use it for your glory's sake, that your Holy Spirit might refresh us by overshadowing us and empowering us with yourself, that we might know the victory and the joy that comes when we walk closely with you, Lord, fill us up even this morning, I pray. I ask this in your holy name. Amen.